Welcome to the Angel Investors Network podcast. Angel Investors Network is the first national angel group founded online in 1997, dedicated to perpetuating free enterprise, capitalism, and supporting the American dream. In addition, Angel Investors Network is the organization behind the powerful Mastermind Investment Club, dedicated to harnessing the philosophy of a mastermind to increase success and their investment portfolio. Jeff Barnes is the COO and CMO at Angel Investors Network. Jeff is a two-time international best-selling author who helps entrepreneurs and leaders start, scale, and exit their businesses while creating freedom and autonomy along the way. On the podcast, Jeff brings together the most successful privately held companies in America to share with you how they grow their businesses and how you can too. And now, here's your host, Jeff Barnes. Hey there, and welcome everyone. This is Jeff Barnes with Angel Investors Network. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you tuning in to the Angel Investors Network podcast. Today we have an incredible guest. Anthony Glomsky is the author of Liquidity and You, a personal guide for tech and business entrepreneurs approaching an exit. So really important for those of you guys that are looking to scale your business and actually sell it or exit out of it at some point, you'll want to stay tuned for all of the stuff that he has to mention. He's also the founder of AG Asset Advisory, an internationally recognized wealth management firm. His team works extensively with tech entrepreneurs and business owners to provide them with the tools needed to make smart decisions when it comes to money and life. Of course, something we all need to know about. Anthony's 18 years of industry-specific work opened his eyes to the dilemma of many entrepreneurs, and as a business owner, they're responsible for looking out for employees and family, but oftentimes no one's looking out for them. So true, right? This is the key issue that has inspired his own venture to solve that problem. He's been covered by Forbes, US News and World Report, Yahoo, Tech, CIO, and NASDAQ, among others. And Anthony is also an alumnus of KPMG, a member of the Milken Institute Associates, and is an active in several charities, including the Surfrider Foundation. <laughs> I want to hear about that, too. An avid surfer and a car enthusiast, Anthony is a member of the Silicon Beach Surfers and the Porsche Club of America. And, of course, he splits his time, like a lot of these people do, um, in between Los Angeles and New York and flying all over the country. So, Anthony, welcome. Thank you very much for taking the time to be here today. Jeff, thank you so much for having me. Excited yeah, to be here. Absolutely. So I'm looking forward to getting into this and learning a lot about what you do. Um, my first question is, what is it that inspired you to write your latest book? And what was the genesis for that? And what in your career led up to you wanting to write this book? Great question, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, I think at the core was the driver to write that book was to get a message out to many people. I think that's why a lot of people write and to get the message out to a, to a broad audience. Uh, my own personal motivator, if I talk about my story, which is I grew up in the Midwest in Indianapolis, Indiana, and my dad was an engineer and my mom had a heart condition that prevented her from working. And early on, I got one message. The message was there's not enough money. There may not be enough money to go back to your school. There may not be enough money to buy another car. And there's certainly not enough money to move to California. And so my reaction to that was twofold. One, I went out and I made money, probably a lot like many of your listeners. You know, I'd rake, I'd rake leaves, I'd mow a lawn, I had a paper route, I'd clean a gutter. Anything I could do to hustle a buck, I was out there and doing. Simultaneously, I learned every single thing I could about money and took up the study of money at a very early age. Uh, 
authors like Napoleon Hill, uh, John Vogel, to, to name a few. And the whole catalyst behind that was I didn't want to feel that way. I didn't want that sense of scarcity. Fast forward my sophomore year of high school, Mrs. Hannigan, my guidance counselor, calls me in her office and says, Anthony, we don't believe you're a candidate for college, but perhaps you could be a plumber or an electrician. <laughs> and I freaked out because what Mrs. Hannigan told me is you're going to be poor. You're going to be broke and there's not enough money. And I hauled out of there focused like no other. You know, and I did go to college and I ended up working at a, you know, getting recruited by a big firm in Chicago. And I followed my dream of being in California and all that kind, kind of worked out. Um, and then I had that, that shift. It was up in San Francisco. It's working at a firm. I go in at 7.30 in the morning, my, my phone rings. And it's my father. And, and he's crying. And you have to say it. I, I lost my mom. And I got off my desk. And I went to Baker Beach. Baker Beach is this remarkable place. On one side, you've got the hills of Marin. On the other side, you've got the Golden Gate Bridge. And I looked up to it, what? And said, what, why? Why am I here and what's the point? And the point was to help people. And that's what I did for fun and for free from that point forward. And up until we hit this thing called 2008 and 2009, and I saw my friends, parents, and others get totally wiped out. And that was my calling to get out and help people and specifically help entrepreneurs. So that became really the platform to write that book and deliver a message. When I think there's, you know, not to sell books, people can email me directly, I'll, I'll send out chapters, but there's so much valuable content in there for them to protect themselves. Yeah, and you know, I've looked through some of the topics in your book, and I think that's incredible. Now, first up, I want to acknowledge you for you know, you you said something right away, which is you had conditioning drilled into you from a very early age, which is guess what? There's a scarce world out there. There's not enough money to go around. Don't even think that you're going to be making anything of yourself, and you're not going to get a chance to access this capital. Um, you're going to be poor for the rest of your life, and then it was reinforced shame, shame on your high school counselor for doing that, right? Sorry, you're not a candidate for doing anything important in your life, um, but you might be a plumber, right? Um, not that there's <laughs> anything wrong with plumbers. I mean, I've had some people helping me in this past week fixing my house, which has been great. But the fact is that that's kind of the society we live in, right? Which is that if you don't conform to a norm or a, a, a predisposition that people have in their minds, then obviously you're not going to be successful, right? And so you overcame that and you said, no, to hell with that. I'm actually going to do something. Completely. And I see that, you know, working with entrepreneurs, it's a very common theme. It's like, I believe to some extent, like being an entrepreneur is born out of dysfunction, but it's also born out of adversity and not accepting the status quo and how things are and going to be delivered for you. Right. Um, so I am immensely grateful that, you know, Mrs. Hannigan pulled me in her office and had that conversation. I mean, that's like, turning point of my life. I think it's one of the greatest things that you could have ever said to me. Sure. And like you, you know, I've done some home renovations and I actually enjoy working with my hands and a little light plumbing and electrical, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so maybe she was right to some extent, but just having that, having that fuel in the fire, as I call it, I think is a common theme amongst, you know, entrepreneurs and then probably a lot within your audience of, you know, in that, that world of angel investing, you're either of that same mindset or you're putting money with somebody that's of that same mindset. So, 
So how important do you think it is for an entrepreneur to have a background, something like that, where, you know, they weren't born with a silver spoon in their mouth and they actually had to work and they had adversity and they were, they were beat down along the way. How important is that? And is that something you look for when it comes to angel investing and actually investing in companies? I think it's hugely important, you know, understanding somebody's motivation um, and then aligning, aligning with their own self-interest. And so if something is that like ingrained in their DNA, they're not going to wake up one day and be different about that. Like <laughs> that takes years and years of therapy. Sure. Sure. <laughs> a long runway to undo all that. So, yeah, absolutely. And then you can, let's talk about it just briefly on the entrepreneur side, right? So you have this, this predefined notion of what money is and, but there's just not enough in the world. And then all of a sudden you get introduced to investors and you're finding out that someone writing a hundred thousand dollar check is the norm, right? It's not, it's not rare to see something like that happen. And that causes a shift, right? It's a paradigm shift for the entrepreneur the first time they see that, but it doesn't necessarily change their habits of how they've spent money up until this point. So when you're looking at entrepreneurs and you're looking at investments, or even if you're, you're mentoring or coaching entrepreneurs on this stuff, how do you help them understand fiscal responsibility when it comes to getting someone taking somebody else's money um in terms of the taking someone else's money like we're not really deep in like deep in that process but kind of dovetailing off of what you just said there is let's look at a different way of all this money coming in and existing in such a scarce you know existence before there is this whole new kind of psychological shift that has to occur. And then a heavy set of psychological problems. Well, let's just say challenges that, that come along with that and remaining like what I would call right sized. Um, what I tend to see, which I prefer to see, um, you know, like I mentioned, I'm, I'm in Venice, I'm in Los Angeles and there's a lot of celebrities here and, and you can look at the, the page the front page and you can see exactly how they're spending their money and how there's none left and what they've done to basically you know those people they are their businesses they're walking businesses and any business can go broke right and no amount of money can 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 fix that what i see on the entrepreneurial side is sometimes a flip of that where they're now genning all of this cash and then it just becomes about either hoarding or not being not being okay it's like look, you got enough for you and, and, and your family and your future family, you're okay. Like, just be okay. So it's sort of taking a shift, um, helping them to sort of shift their perception. And then I think kind of to your point of, let's just say I've started a venture. Now I'm getting these checks coming in, right? To fund my venture. There's, there's something surreal about that in a way. And then there's also sort of like the fear of self-sabotage, like, oh, I got up to this point, but now it's not going to work. And it's really trusting in yourself and who you are and the core of what you're about to propel your idea forward to, to create success. Um, I think, you know, one of the things I mentioned, um, you know, before we got on was just talking about different types of networks that people put themselves in. And I think whether you're an angel investor you're an entrepreneur or you're a surfer, get by the best people you can be by because that's gonna create your new normal. 
And, exactly. and you talk about that, right? There are two types of networks that we need. So can you maybe dive into that when we're talking about these individuals who are, are out there and they're, they're starting a new venture and they're looking for this help? How does having the right type of network fit into that? And what are those networks? Sure. And just some, some background on that. I've studied a lot what's referred to as a super rich. And those are individuals with net worth, a net worth north of 500 million. And, you know, I work very closely with a, a guy that does a lot of statistical studies and samples and research and has for the better part of a couple decades. And he looked at, he calls it the two types of networks you need to become super rich. So the first is expansive. Um, the expansive network, that's the most common and it's easiest to cultivate, um, but it's got limits. So the limits are the bonds aren't that strong and you're not necessarily able to leverage it consistently. So you think of about any like general network group that you can get in, you know, that's going to be a version of an expansive network. Some are good, some are not so good. Um, but, but pretty easy to put together. And I would imagine that most of your, most of your listeners have that. Now, so can you give an example of how, how that might fit in? Like what, what kind of, what's a good example of an expansive type of network that maybe anybody might be already involved in, they just don't know that's what it's called? Uh, sure. So I think of, uh, you know, I, I'm involved with a group here in LA and it's a meetup of, of different angel investors, for example. And so if I've got an interest or a checkbook, I have now access to this group. And in that I meet Bob and Tina and Fred and you know, Sally. And from that, I can say, oh, what do you think of this deal? Or what other deals are you seeing? Or I'm struggling with this particular thing. What do you think about that? So I just, I have this instant and it's pretty expensive and it's also, it, it's accessible. Okay. So it's, it's mostly just, you know, the people you're meeting in the course of doing your normal activities, right? Your, your normal network and then meeting them and maybe by virtue of meeting them, you meet somebody else. So it's that almost six degrees of separation, if you will, but it's not, not incredibly targeted. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Exactly. So what's the other type of network that uh, people need to be aware of? So the other, which is more of a challenge, but that's the nodal. And so a nodal defined as it's very powerful and highly targeted. And what you have with that is you have very deep relationships and those deep relationships in turn have their own deep relationships. And the result of being in this nodal group is you can maximize your time and effort consistently working within that group. Um, as far as an example, myself, I've fallen into some of these organically, but like I'm, I'm part of the, uh, the milk and associates, mm -hmm. um, actually I'm full disclosure. I'm due to re -up, So I'll be back <laughs> with the milk and associates. So that, so that's, that's, that I would call nodal is that, um, I started in their young people's group. And now I'm in the grown-up group, and now I have this tight group of financial professionals that can help me source and essentially any question I can I can raise around family offices, capital raising, uh, alternative investments. I have that core deep expert, and if they don't know it, they will work to get me connected to it. Uh, some that your listeners might be familiar with are mastermind groups. Right. And some of the 
I would say upper tier mastermind groups where it's a little bit more expensive to get in, maybe a lot, and it's a little bit more competitive to get in. Um, but once you're in, you now have a depth of resources, which is invaluable that you can leverage, you know, consistently. And so how important is that on both sides of the aisle, right? Cause we, we talked about, we have two sides of the aisle here when it comes to what we do, we have the entrepreneurs who are looking to raise capital and we have the investors who are looking to invest capital. So let's start with the entrepreneurs. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs will, they, they surround themselves with like-minded individuals Oh yeah, this is a great opportunity. Oh yeah, I'm just gonna scratch your back, you scratch mine. They they always give each other great feedback. But when I'm looking at, it, they're all kind of like at this sea level view, right? None of them have ascended the mountain yet, so they're all giving each other great ideas on how to get to the top of the mountain, but they've never done it themselves, right? So that that to me sounds like it would be your expansive group. Like I'm just yes. in this network of people. So how then would somebody who's in that go like, okay, I, I appreciate you guys giving me feedback and help, and um, you know tell me about the trials and tribulations you've gone through. But then it sounds like they need to get a nodal community, a nodal network that helps them scale that up. And you're talking about masterminds is a great example. And how important is that to go from, you know, it, whether it's ground zero where they're just starting out or maybe they have a little bit of traction to actually ramping that business up or, or making that venture happen? I think it's so huge and such a requisite. And I can tell you, in my own experience, mastermind or something equivalent, um, it's always been an uncomfortable step to go into that for several reasons. Maybe the check I have to write, maybe I'm highly intimidated by the people in that group because they're so far above me, but it it just, it accelerates everything tenfold. Yeah. So I can't stress enough how, you know, how impactful that can be. Absolutely. Yeah. We see the same thing, right? The, the people come to us and, you know, they really are struggling to get off the ground. But as soon as you open up that Rolodex and you get that network effect going, I was like, hey, I know Joe over here. Joe can help you with logistics and distribution. And, and Corbin over here, he can run all the, the plastic mold injection. All of a sudden you have this incredible synergy. And mm -hmm. I think that's what you're getting. So they may not have the exact same expertise, but it's the expertise that you're looking for at the time that you need it. Right. Completely. Yeah. And, and inevitably, if you, you know, let's just say through one of those groups, you, you develop a, a mentor, which is hopefully a decade past where you're at that has had success and been on a pathway. Um, again, you, you you build that deep relation, relationship with that person. He, by default, or she is going to have deep relationships also and be able to tap that for you. Sure. Awesome. Outstanding. So can you talk about it on the investor side a little bit? You know, like you said, you, you guys have worked on studying the ultra rich, the super rich and understanding what it is that they do that maybe other people aren't doing. And can we tap into that? And how, how do they leverage these same types of networks to expand their influence and their affluence as well? Sure. So they tend to have a very tight knit close group of trusted professionals that can execute, that can quickly solve problems. And if they can't solve the problem, they know the person to solve the problem and they will quarterback the solving of, of the problem. From the investor standpoint, so they're, they're I don't wanna say herd mentality, but they're gonna know, okay, if I'm, proposing some concept or some idea, 
for them to get on board, they're going to have to know that already within their network. You know, should I be doing this if you're not doing this? So it's not so much herd mentality, but they want to know that people in their peer group or stratosphere or however you want to name it are on board and doing something similar. That makes sense. Yeah, it's like that social dynamic and that social support and social proof to say, well, if I'm the only one doing this, I must be doing something wrong. And 500 other people are looking at it differently and they're not seeing it, right? Exactly. Um, you know, and I, I think there's a lot of power in that. And, you know, just a, a quick side note, we see that happening all the time. We run events and we're trying to teach entrepreneurs how to raise capital. It's that you've got to get people like engaged and like nodding their head and saying, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Because if you have a whole bunch of people sitting back with their arms crossed, you know, yeah. the guy that might have been interested is looking around and says, oh, maybe not. Never mind. <laughs> right. Because they're not. Yeah. So it's a very um, visceral example of that. Um, you know, so using that same analogy of, of surrounding yourself with the right people, who would you say are some of the, the experts that somebody needs to have on their team when it comes to starting, growing, building a business or building wealth for that matter? A number one is a court, you need some type of coordinator. And that can come in a few forms. Like we're, you know, we're wealth planners for a limited number of families, actually 25. So we've got a boutique practice. But that's, you know, one function we take for people is helping to quarterback and being that go-to resource. I also see it take the form of, of a CPA, but a CPA that's got a broad scope of services. And maybe that CPA is looking at stuff like key performance indicators. In fact, that's a great question for a CPA. Um, do you look at key performance indicators? A lot of them are gonna scratch your head and I say, that's probably not the person for you. So it's starting with a professional like that. Um, and it's, well, how do, you, how do you find that person? Because there's so many, there's so many people out there. So I call this a, a consummate professional, it's a consummate pro. Um, there's others out there that are pretenders, predators, and exploiters. So what you really want is that consummate professional. And there's two key attributes. One, they're thought leaders. So they're going to be pretty easy to find. So let's just say I want to, you know, I want a CFO that works with digital agencies. Okay, and I'm going to Google that, and I'm going to start looking, and there's going to be a few that rise to the top, that, have that write, that speak, that publish and are well-known within the community as, as experts. Um, so it's, it's finding that thought leader. And then the other, they're gonna know top professionals that if, it, if you're in the newer stage of your business, you're probably not gonna be in touch with these top professionals, but they're gonna be connected to other top professionals that are also thought leaders in the top of their game. Sure. So surrounding yourself by those people very early on, I think, I think is crucial. Um, I see it with, with my own clients that started, you know, self-funded a company and spent the first six months sleeping on a couch and now have blown up like a big enterprise. And even then you see like adding like these top tier professionals into, you know, into their team can be completely transformative in so many ways. So I think the sooner somebody does that, the better. And also don't be afraid. It's like, well, I'm not big enough for so so, so. Maybe you're not, maybe you are, but, but reach out and see, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's so important to have 
I love what you said, you know, the posers, right? You have these posers coming out all the time and then you finally dive into it a little bit. You're like, oh, so you, you just read the stuff in a book. Okay, great. I could have read the right. same book, right? But what you're talking about is I want to go to the person who wrote the book. I want to go to the person who really understands this stuff. And if I go to that person, I know I'm going to get the right information because they've done all the research or they've lived through it. They've had the experience or, you know, they're the ones that exited a business, for example. And they're saying, hey, this is what you need to look for. This is the type of stuff you need to do in preparation and how to maximize that, that process, right? Exactly. Exactly. It, it's so important, right? And, you know, can you talk a little bit, you know, it, it, like, let's say somebody's coming to you. And like, mm -hmm. listen, Anthony, I just need some some advice some guidance on this. I'm looking at this early stage company or this pre-IPO company, and I think it's going to go big. The guys are giving me this great story. You know, I'm looking at the numbers. I'm looking at the projections. What am I missing, right? Because if obviously if it's such a great opportunity, why hasn't everybody else done it, <laughs> right? So what right. Kind of advice do you give to somebody that's, that comes to you with a question like that? Uh, I start asking a bunch of questions. So I want to know who are the founders? Tell me, tell me all about them. Mm -hmm. And um, th it's funny, this is an interview question for me, but it was like, uh, tell me what it was like growing up. And I was like, what are you looking for my socioeconomic status? Like, I don't, is that even a legal question? But that's a good question. I want to hear like, what, what was it like growing up for you? Okay. Mm -hmm. And then I want to know all about that founder um, past successes, past failures, um, what would you do differently now, knowing what you know? And then I want to look at who's on the board. You right. know, who's their board of advisors? Now on that board, uh, have any of those members successfully exited a similar business? Is it a good one? And then another is what's the exit strategy? Is it build this thing and start cranking or, and then, and then diving deep into the exit strategy. So I actually, I saw one of these a couple weeks ago, um, given to me by a client. I won't go into specifics, but it was that their, their exit strategy was like, well, ABC company sold for whatever, 30 times investment, da, da, da. I said, okay, great. Well, how many of these companies exist? Because in my limited knowledge, I would assume there's at least a thousand so you're telling me one has had a successful exit. So what's your what's your exit strategy and, and is that viable? So it's it's digging a little deeper. What I see is that people get excited by the numbers and the potential, because that like tells this tangible story. And all of that's like relevant and great, but it's doing just digging a little bit deeper with the due diligence and also um, being okay with sitting on your hands. Like Warren Buffett says, that's one of the hardest things about investing is sitting on your hands. But one of the greatest things is you get to sit there all day long for pitches and wait till the perfect, you know, the perfect pitch comes your way to knock it out of the park. So nobody's got, you know, you're likely not running a fund no, or running money for a family. You don't have a gun to the head to put capital to work like you have time. So, so do your due diligence and be selective. Yeah. Um, Another piece of that, which I think is really crucial, um, which I couldn't necessarily get in from somebody in a short conversation, but being right-sized about your investment. So if, if you're doing angel investing, you want to know what percentage it, of my overall net worth is that, you know, and carving out what would be 
I would call an appropriate percentage of someone's household net worth. Then once that's carved out, okay, great. We're going to call this speculative, meaning the outcome is twofold. One is lose everything. The other is get rich. So you got a big, a big range there. Um, and then saying, do I want to do two? Do I want to do 20? What, what's my goal? And then how does that fit into my overall picture? Okay, wonderful. So it's being strategic about it, right? It's not just, I've got this incredible opportunity. Let me throw all my eggs in one basket, right? And in any any wealth manager that says to do that should probably be fired, right? <laughs> we don't ever want to do that. <laughs> so I think they'll have a they'll have a short career. Yeah, probably, right? I got yeah. this great stock tip. You got to put all your money in right now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, well, very cool. So you know, talk to me when when you're working with clients and you're talking to them about you know doing this because you're talking about companies that are going for an exit, which means they're not public companies, right? Sure. And I'm, I'm guessing you're having conversations on both sides of the aisle as well, right? The entrepreneur who's trying to get an exit and the investor who potentially is investing in that company. So when you're talking to the entrepreneur or even it could be the investor, you're saying, listen, here's what you need to think about long-term. Like what's the future of your company look like? Because we have this saying all the time, you can't eat equity, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you put their money in, and they get equity, but you can't really do anything with equity until, until something happens. So do you have that same kind of conversation? And how do you navigate those waters? I like that line, you can't eat equity. Do you know the notion of equity stripping? I, I've heard the term before, but I can't say I'm, I'm an expert in it. Okay. I mean, that's, that's a neat, and I have a great piece I could send anybody on this, but if you've, got, if you've got a company that's got the value locked up, the notion is basically stripping some equity off and taking, you know, taking a bite of the apple or taking some, some chips off the table for lack of a better analogy. Um, I point to, there's a lot of uh, entrepreneurs in history that have done this, but uh, you may be familiar with the guy, David Geffen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Started Geffen records and I can Google this, but he's well into the billions. Um, but his, his number, his magic number early in the game was 10 million. And he ended up selling, his company for that number. The reason it was 10 is he knew from that point forward, two things. One, is it come good? I can take care of myself. I understand what that means, I'm good. Two, this is gonna allow me to do so much more in terms of taking entrepreneurial risk. Right. So the whole you can't eat equity, I think it's being strategically smart about your business, whether that means doing some equity stripping or there's other mechanisms to be pushing cash flow out that can be walled off for, you know, your own, your own purposes, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and also when it comes to these, these companies that are raising capital, right? Mm -hmm. um, we try to tell them when we say you can't need equity is just, you, you, you can't, you're not paying the investors in equity, right? The investor's not going to be able to take the equity and just say, okay, let me go ahead and buy groceries for this. So let me go ahead and pay for my yacht, whatever it might be. So instead mm -hmm. what they're looking for is that, that exit or that dividend or some sort of way to start getting their investment capital back. Mm -hmm. And equity stripping sounds like it might be a way to kind of achieve a little bit of that. You're not talking about dilution, right? Uh, when they're going out and raising more capital and just diluting everything. You're talking about actually taking a piece off the table. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so when you have that conversation around the exit, right? Because I mean, your book is about this and it's all about 
what do they need to think about long term and, and how do they protect themselves along the way and how do they set themselves up for success? What's a typical conversation you're having with somebody around that, around that strategy? Um, it's, you know, it's obviously it's multifaceted, right? But one is getting that foundation in place today. So if you're an entrepreneur with a business, you're going to have an exit. I don't know if you're going to sell that in a couple of years. I don't know if that'll be transitioned to your kids or I don't know if you're just going to not wake up one day, you know, like all of us and not be here anymore, but there's going to be, there's going to be an exit some way, shape or form. Right. So my call is always like right now, what can be put in place to sort of maximize that outcome. And then along the way, as things change personally and with the business, tweaking accordingly such that when you go to the table to start looking to make a deal, you're well prepared. I'm sure you've probably seen several exits and are aware that it can be a long, arduous, exhausting process. So sometimes our role is just being kind of the, the counselor of like, is this the right thing to do? Have I made the right idea? Have I done fun about this? Like, Oh, they're asking for this. Oh, they want this. And just being, you know, the sounding board to sort of talk them through the process. Right. Uh, You know, and and then the big question is, well, this is all great. What are you going to do next? Are you going to go to an Island and hang out? Most likely no. I, you know, I've seen that happen a couple of times, but it usually lasts like nine months and then they're back to, you know, back to the new venture. So it's taking that into account too of what that's going to look like. Can we talk about that, that type of individual, right? They've grown a business. They, they've amassed a certain amount of wealth over the years and they have this business that's actually just spitting out cash for them. They're like, you know what? It's great, but I'm, I'm over it. I want to sell it. I want to, I want to send it. I want to give my, let my kids run it, right? We're having this big, the biggest wealth transfer in history is mm-hmm. underway right now because of things like that. Like I have this asset, but I don't want to manage it anymore. I, I'm done with it. I've spent my time and money on it. Let me hand it off to somebody else, whether that be an heir apparent or their kid or whatever, and, yeah. or they want to sell it, right? So then what do they do? Like how, how, do they, how do they manage that transition? How do they maximize the wealth transfer properly, right? So we're not giving all of it back to Uncle Sam. And then how do they kind of move forward because they've been spending so much time in their business and now they don't really have that to look forward to anymore. Yeah. Well, so we'll start with uncle Sam. The, the best thing you can do is engage someone. The sooner that you do that, the better, the less uncle Sam's going to get. And assuming you have what I call a, a consummate pro as opposed to a pretender, but you get that person in place to kind of push down legally what what uncle sam would receive um and then post exit there's stuff that you can do too in terms of the proceeds and mitigating taxes on earnings uh you know there's all types of actual rollovers right now so if you sell an appreciated asset you can roll that into another asset and get a tax referral for 2026 your tax bill is also reduced by 15 percent in 2026 and when you sell that new asset after 10 years, there's no gains paid. So that's, that's it's the uh, opportunity zone, opportunity zone funds that were created under the, the, the tax and jobs act. 
recently passed. Mm -hmm. So there's a role that you can do. That's one in, but there's also several other roles that you can do depending upon your entity formation and stuff like that. So the tax side is nearly limitless and it's, it's going to be customized to, to a specific situation in person and their goals and what they're trying to accomplish. But there's a lot out there that could be doing on the personal side, which to me is actually radically more important. And I've actually witnessed this in front of my eyes where you have a hard driving CEO that exits and whatever the reason will be. A lot of times in these companies, you hit, you basically hit a wall. So that individual could take it so far. And whatever that number is in revenue or EBITDA, it's just, it's a known fact nearly always that, that they hit that wall and they've got to pass the torch if this thing's going to continue on to grow. Um, so that's one reason why I see, you know, the exit happening. Um, and then like you mentioned, the transfer of the kids. Now, literally I've seen somebody exit out of a position like that and turn gray, you know, skin tone is gray. They start aging rapidly and you see this person nine months or a year later, you're like, what happened? Like, what is going on? But they've lost sort of the whole purpose. Right. Um, and so when you're wired that way, you have to have, you've got to have a bridge of what that next thing's going to be. And it's got to like challenge and motivate you each day. And if the thought is, oh, I need a break from all this. Okay. Six months, a year, travel the world, do whatever you want to do. Still, you need a and if you want to call a plan B, call a plan B, but you need a plan B that you're going to go and execute. Absolutely. So, and I love that you said that because I've seen that happen. Um, my background in, in the Navy, we had a guy on a submarine. He knew everything about the submarine you could possibly imagine. I mean, he was the smartest guy in the world. And, but he'd been in the Navy for over 25 years at that point. And so he said, brother B, when you get out, what are you going to do? He goes, I'll probably die. <laughs> and it was tongue in cheek, but I mean, the sad truth is it's, Statistics don't lie, right? The people that don't have anything else going on for them, like they don't have that charity that they're running and they don't have those those hobbies that they want to take up and go with, like that happens to them. Just like you said, they turn old and gray and it's like, that's no fun. Um, yeah. which is why I, it's why I love the angel investing world, right? Because now you don't have to be the doer of everything. You can step back, you can have somebody manage your wealth like you guys do, but you can step in and say, hey, I want to be a mentor. I want to help out with these other companies that are up and rising or growing, or I can just put my money to work and I can just kind of, you know, watch it grow and see what happens there and be there on a phone call every now and then. But I mean, I just love that, that idea of having that bridge from what you've been doing for so long that has inspired you and motivated you and kept you going to something else that will do the same thing, just maybe in a different capacity, right? Yeah. Well, actually you're making me think of something. I had a call, uh, a video call Friday um, with a, let's just say someone in my network and they were really excited and really pumped up. And I was like, generally in a good, you know, they're generally in a good mood, but I was like, what's going on? It's like, Oh, well I'm consulting for this company in Malaysia and I'll be consulting in this capacity over here. And da, da, da. it's like, you just retired, but this is so great. This is great. And you saw the shift in the body language and the tone of the voice and, you know, facially and all those things. It's like, wow, this really like excites and motivates this person. And because they're no longer worried about the money, they can, you know, in this particular case was looking at something that was green and like environmentally helpful and like creating this challenge of, you know, 
reducing pollution by X. So to me, it, it, it's really everything because just at the core of that entrepreneur, the way that they're wired, they need, they need that outlet. And if you take that outlet away, bad things happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And we've seen it happen several times and we don't like seeing that, which is, you know, why it's so great that there's so many companies coming up and they can kind of plug back in, like you said, as a consultant, as a coach, something like that, um, put their expertise to use. Awesome. Well, Anthony, I, you know, I'd love to go deeper and deeper into all of this stuff, but uh, we just don't have the time. <laughs> I know that you have a whole book that we can go over and talk about a lot of that stuff. I think we have some really big um, topics here. Um, one thing that you did say that um, I, I need to make sure I reiterate uh, because to you, it's like a no brainer, I think, but to the people that are listening, they need to really hit on this, which is the formation of your entity at the outset is so important when it comes to what you want to do long-term, right? That exit. And you, you just said, you know, how your entity is structured is really going to play a, a big impact in what happens down the road. And, you know, maybe you can take just like 30 seconds to kind of, you know, outline that and why that's so important. Yes. Um, you know, I, I refer to those roles, right? So you can do a, a rollover into, a qualified opportunity zone. That was one example. There's other there's other types of roles that I was referring to, which involves a C corp, and so most people don't go the C corp route. Um, you're subject to double taxation, and there's other negatives associated with that, which makes total sense. Um, but for example, and again, there's a composite part, which is who are your investors and how is this funded, and what makes the most sense, and all those other pieces. Um, but an S-Corp can sometimes revert back to a C-Corp, thereby when it is sold, you can actually do a roll of, you know, north, I believe it's north of $10 million at this point, but basically take a big chunk of money tax deferred or tax-free off the table. So that comes down to, to the entity structure. On a very high level, um, what I see a lot is regrets in, entity structure, meaning like within ownership. Well, we're 50-50, we're doing this on a handshake or we're, everything is equitable. And I just, I see so many times, it might be equitable today, but it's not gonna be tomorrow. <laughs> and so help me, if you just keep control of, of, of the voting, keep some control component in there for yourself. Um, don't overdo it and try to be a martyr in terms of giving stuff away. And this is more sort of the core, you know, the early days of founding a company, but it's keep that control for yourself. Right. Very cool. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and I love what you said earlier, which is, you know, you got to have that consummate professional on your team, whether they're on your board of advisors or you pay them for, for their services, whatever it takes, get them in there so that they can help out. Right. Yes. Awesome. Exactly. Well, Anthony, you know, we're at our time now. I really do appreciate all this. How can people uh, learn more about you and, and reach out to you and even get your book? Sure. Probably the easiest is uh, you can go to liquidityandyou.com, liquidityandyou.com. And, uh, you know, there's the books there, some excerpts. You can order it on Amazon. Um, but if you want to get a hold of me, if you send an email through that, through that website, um, it'll get to my team and then it'll find me and I will respond. So much of the stuff I touch on today i've got articles that i can shoot out to people so yeah, perfect of help to you and your and your audience absolutely absolutely well 
Uh, again, thank you very much. That was liquidityinyou.com. And uh, we'll make sure that we have that in the show notes as well as a link to your book. And uh, thank you very much, Anthony, for being a part of the Angel Investors Network podcast. I think we've learned a lot today. I know I have. And I, you know, I have a whole page of notes here that I've been taking. So um, thank you very much. I really do appreciate it. And for anybody here who is listening to us, make sure you go to angelinvestorsnetwork.com forward slash podcast and take a look at the show notes. All right. Thank you. I'm Jeff Barnes with Angel Investors Network. Take care. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer.